Who Neutered the Holy Spirit? From FellowshipOfTheMartyrs.com Pages 3, 4, and 5 There are big giant chunks of Christianity that seem to think that someone neutered the Holy Spirit. I grew up in one of those chunks, and one day I started questioning everything they were telling me. When I saw they weren't feeding the poor, clothing the naked, taking in the poor wanderer, etc., in any substantial measure as a percentage of their budget. I'm pretty sure that's the only stuff on the final sheep and the goats exam in Matthew 25. Jesus is not going to say, I needed a chandelier and you didn't buy me one. I was desperate for a PowerPoint presentation and you didn't give me one. Yeah, you get the idea. Don't give me your cheap talk. I want to see your budget. That speaks the truth about your priorities. Anyway, it seems that there's a large chunk of folks that have been taught that the Holy Spirit showed up at Pentecost for the first time, landed on twelve apostles, did some cool stuff like prophecy and healing and tongues and word of knowledge and delivering demons, and then, when the Bible was completed, seems to have become nothing more than a beefed-up conscience that gently urges us away from things that are bad for us, like somebody just whacked off all the Holy Spirit's powerful multiplication parts. There are many sects of Christianity that never discuss the Holy Spirit at all or completely avoid the book of Acts for fear that someone might ask an embarrassing question. Technically called cessationists, they believe that the gifts of the Spirit and being able to hear God speak to us stopped, ceased, when the Bible was completed. To support this position, you have to go through some serious scriptural gymnastics. The most annoying of which, to me, is that you have to believe that God changes, that the apostles were unique and special men, that God, in fact, is a respecter of persons, and that the Holy Spirit isn't really as important a part of the Godhead as he used to be. You also have to come to the conclusion that the Great Commission in Mark is not supposed to be in the Bible, and or doesn't apply to us, and this from folks that insist that the King James Version is the official, infallible, unadulterated Word of God, and Mark 16, 14-20 made it in there. I think they're stuck with it. My point in this writing is to show the overwhelming evidence that the Holy Spirit was around before Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit showed up in bigger measure available to all people at Pentecost, and that he is available to us in as great or greater a measure now as he was to the apostles. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a real thing. It's not the same as salvation, and it's absolutely necessary to empower believers to walk in all the full benefits of the Spirit. And it doesn't have to look the way the charismatic Pentecostal wing has taught it either. So that you know, I don't come at this as a holy rolling Pentecostal. I'm not part of any charismatic movement. I'm just seeking truth. Capital T, truth. I was born and bred the son of a Southern Baptist minister and missionary. I'm a stubborn Missouri show-me mule, a businessman and a pragmatist. I want to know exactly how things work and why, and I don't want to take anybody else's word for it. I'm not impressed with your cheap talk. I want to see action. What works in the real world can sometimes be very different than the way people say it's supposed to work. I don't go for experiences or manifestations or emotional displays, unless it's resulting in radically transformed lives that look more like Jesus. This is not a scholarly work in the sense that I'm going to go and read the thoughts of dozens of men and synthesize it here with footnotes and a bibliography. I'm going to do my best to just show the scriptural evidence and present the case as it is in reality, not in theory. Science was trapped in a theoretical phase for a while when men with big brains would sit around a table arguing about how many teeth a horse must have. All kinds of arguments would be proposed based on their understanding of its diet and the mechanics of jaws and whatever other variables or pet assumptions they had. Observational science was born when some genius just got up from the table and went out and found a horse and looked in its mouth. I'm the kind of guy that has a very low tolerance for sitting around and debating when there's a horse nearby. 
The word says that they will know us by the word of our testimony. I don't have anything else that I can stand behind reliably except the word of God and what I've seen personally. You may not believe me, I may not be able to document it, but to me it's reality and I can't be talked down, because I went through it and saw it happen with my own eyes. So throughout this book, I might just mix in a horse teeth reality check from my personal experience here and there. I'll leave it to you to decide if I'm making it up or not. The word says that they will know us by the word of our testimony. I don't have anything else that I can stand behind reliably except the word of God and what I've seen personally. You may not believe me, I may not be able to document it, but to me it's reality, and I can't be talked down, because I went through it and I saw it happen with my own eyes. So throughout this book I might just mix in a reality check from my personal experience here and there. I'll leave it to you to decide if I'm making it up or not. If the Holy Spirit did big stuff before Pentecost, why do we think that he's unable to do those things after the Bible was completed? If it was just a dispensation, or for a limited use to spread the gospel, why is it still not happening? Can you come to the conclusion that if people are having dreams and visions and being healed, and the gospel is being spread through unknown tongues, that Satan is doing it? Can a house divided stand? How can that be biblical? And if it really is the Holy Spirit doing it, and we're denying it, or attributing it to Satan, Aren't we in danger of blaspheming the Holy Spirit? And Jesus said that was really bad. Matthew 12:31-32, Mark 3:29, Luke 12:10. Didn't he? The Bible's true, isn't it? If so, you might want to be really careful what you attribute to Satan that might really be the Holy Spirit. You know, just in case. If the Holy Spirit's out there and he's waiting for us to fully appropriate all that he makes available to us to spread the gospel in power, and we're not doing it, then the blood of all those missed opportunities is on our head. If we have access to weapons and ammunition for this war on evil, but we've been convinced that they're not really there, who benefits most? Yeah, I'm pretty sure the bad guys would really like us to believe that the things which throughout history have most dramatically spread the gospel are no longer available today. In fact, I'm pretty well convinced that the demons of hell are the ones whispering that doctrine to people. Because I can't figure how Jesus is glorified by a doctrine that says he doesn't heal us or speak to us or do cool things through us anymore. And if we're operating without the full empowerment of the Holy Spirit, then we're running on our own steam. That can't be good. And it plays directly into the enemy's hands. This is not a side issue of little consequence. If my relationship with Jesus can be deeper, I want it. If I can hear God better, I want to. If I can go from denying Christ when confronted by a barmaid to preaching my first sermon and 3,000 people get saved and the religious leaders beat me and I still won't back down and I go home praising God, I want that. Acts 5, 40-42. Whatever God did to transform Peter from the sissy at the crucifixion to the rock-solid lion at Pentecost... If it's available today, I want it. In fact, if it's available today, the world desperately needs an army of radical, fired-up, fearless, rock-solid lions right about now. This is no small issue. We're talking about whether a third of the Godhead changed or not. If the Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit can change, if he got neutered and replaced entirely with a book, then maybe we should be concerned that everything is in a lot more flux than we want to believe. Maybe there's another dispensation coming where the blood of Jesus doesn't work anymore either. If he promises us something, like that the power of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children and all those far off, and all those that the Lord calls unto him, but then it doesn't apply to us, how can we feel secure about any of his promises? That's from Acts 2.39. Seems like a bait-and-switch scam to me. Peter said that what they had just gotten was for everybody. He sold that bill of goods to 3,000 people immediately. 
It made it into the Bible. But Peter didn't really mean it like that. But God endorsed it and put it in the Bible. Peter could have sure avoided a lot of confusion over the last 1900 years by just telling them that it was for that generation and then it would stop. I wonder why he didn't. It was the Holy Spirit talking through him, right? And the Holy Spirit can't lie, right? So is it for everybody that God calls or isn't it? Are you getting the importance of this? If some of the gifts ceased, which ones? If some of the offices ceased, which ones? Who gets to decide which we still have? And if God doesn't speak to us anymore, why not? Do we need to hear him less? Does he not want to direct all of our paths anymore? Are we not his sheep anymore? Because we're supposed to be hearing his voice. John 10:27. What about Joel 2 where it says he'll pour out his spirit on all flesh? Have we seen that fulfilled? Could it still be coming? Will we be dogmatically and doctrinally ready to receive it when it does? When he said voice, did he really mean the writings of the apostles? Maybe when he said voice, he meant voice. I'm thinking we ought to take the Bible at face value on that. He put his spirit in us so that he could write his law on our hearts and we could hear his voice. It's not enough to know the law in general. The spirit has to show us how it applies to each given situation we face. The Bible says that the Bible is not understandable except by the instruction of the Holy Spirit. So which is more important, the Word or the Spirit? I gotta go with the Spirit has to come first, or the Word is just a history book. Without the Holy Spirit of the Lord unlocking it to us, we can't search the deep things of God. More on this in future audio chapters and on the website www.fellowshipofthemartyrs.com Who Neutered the Holy Spirit? From FellowshipOfTheMartyrs.com Pages 6 and 7 Was the Holy Spirit around in the Old Testament? Let's get into what the Word says. They may not admit it, but there seems to be this stream of thought that thinks the Holy Spirit showed up at Pentecost for the first time and then basically left when the Bible was completed. Or maybe he didn't all the way leave, but pretty much now he's just like a caffeine booster for your conscience. Anybody with a concordance can see otherwise, but I think the enemy has supernaturally blinded people. It's like a cut-and-paste demon that makes them forget certain passages are in the Word of God at all. So to counteract that, I went through the whole Bible and tried to categorize all the relevant verses about the Holy Spirit. Here are all the people that the Word specifically says received or were filled with or were motivated by or did something by the power of the Holy Spirit. Surely there are many others. In fact, none of the prophets could prophesy except by the Holy Spirit. But just so we don't argue about it, these are the verses where the Word of God specifically says right there that the Holy Spirit had something to do with it. I'm not saying this is absolutely comprehensive, but it should be enough to make the point. I'm going to leave it to you to look them up for yourself. If you don't have a Bible handy, try www.biblegateway.com or blueletterbible.com. A handy free computer tool I really like is bible-explorer.com. This is going to go by real fast on the audio. If you want to look up all the references, get on the website and look up page 6 and 7 of Who Neutered the Holy Spirit. Old Testament people who were filled with the Holy Spirit. Joseph, Genesis 41:38; Bezalel and Aholiab, Exodus 31:3, Exodus 35:31; Moses, Isaiah 63:14; The 70 elders of Moses, Numbers 11:17. Balaam, Numbers 24.2, Joshua, Numbers 27.18, Deuteronomy 34.9, Othniel, Judges 3.10, Gideon, Judges 6.34, Jephthah, Judges 11.29, Samson, Judges 13.25, 14.6, 14.19, 15.14, 
Saul, 1 Samuel 10, 6 through 10, 11 verse 6, 19 verse 23. David, 1 Samuel 16, 13, 2 Samuel 23, 2. Saul's messengers, 1 Samuel 19, 20. Azariah, 2 Chronicles 15, 1. Jehaziel, 2 Chronicles 20, 14. Zechariah, 2 Chronicles 24, 20. The prophets in general, Nehemiah 9.30, Zechariah 7.12, 2 Peter 1.21, Isaiah, Isaiah 48.16, Isaiah 59.21, Acts 28.25-27, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 2.2, 3.24, and 11.5, Daniel, Daniel 4.9, and 6.3, Micah, Micah 3.8. Okay, so when did the Holy Spirit first show up? Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. That's darn near as close to the beginning as you can get. And so was the Spirit just sitting on mothballs waiting for Pentecost? What was he doing between Genesis 1-2 and Matthew 1-1? Things the Holy Spirit did in the Old Testament. Moved on the face of the waters. Genesis 1-2. Made people speak in tongues ecstatically and or prophesy. Numbers 11, 25 to 29. 1 Samuel 10:10. 10, 10, 1 Samuel 19:20. 1 Samuel 19:23. Complete personal transformation of Saul. 1 Samuel 10, 6 through 10. Gave David the complete plans for the temple. 1 Chronicles 28, 12. Made people and kept them alive. Job 27, 3, 33, 4. Psalms 104, 30. Omnipresence. Psalm 139, 7. Wrote the Old Testament. Isaiah 34, 16. Kills the flowers and the grass. Isaiah 47. Omnipotence. Isaiah 40, 13 prophesied through Isaiah about Jesus being filled with the Spirit. Isaiah 42.1, 61.1, Promised to pour out the Spirit on the church. Isaiah 44.3, Defended against enemies. Isaiah 59.19, Zechariah 4.6. Picked people up and transported them elsewhere. 1 Kings 18.12, 2 Kings 2.16. Ezekiel 3.12, Ezekiel 3.14, Ezekiel 8.3, Ezekiel 11.1, Ezekiel 11.24, Ezekiel 37.1, Ezekiel 43.5. Talk to people, Ezekiel 3.24, Ezekiel 11.5. Gave dreams and visions, Ezekiel 8.3, Ezekiel 11.1, Ezekiel 11.24. Transformed and renewed people's hearts, Ezekiel 11.19, Ezekiel 36.26. Help people keep his commandments. Ezekiel 36:27. Promise to put his spirit in people. Ezekiel 11:19. Ezekiel 36:26 to 27. Ezekiel 37:14. Ezekiel 39:29. Joel 2:29. Poured out repentance and mourning. Zechariah 12:10. Spoke through David about Jesus. Psalm 22. Psalm 110:1. Mark 12:36. Spoke through David about Judas Iscariot, Psalm forty one nine, Psalm fifty five, twelve through fifteen, Acts one sixteen. Spoke to the prophets about the future suffering of Jesus, first Peter one eleven. Spoke through Isaiah about the future hardness of the people's hearts and their inability to hear the truth. Isaiah six, nine through ten, Acts twenty eight, twenty five to twenty seven. Again, that's just a few where the verse specifically gives the credit to the Spirit of the Lord or the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. It should be obvious that he was very busy throughout the history of Israel leading up to the New Testament. 
Surely there are millions of unnamed people of all stripes that heard from the Spirit and were motivated by Him. That list above doesn't even include Noah and Enoch and Elisha and Gideon and Deborah and Nathan and Samuel and Micaiah and Solomon and Josiah and Nehemiah and Job and Elihu and so many others. None of those people could have done what they did without the Holy Spirit speaking and guiding and directing and filling them. Remember, we're talking about 4,000 or so years here. The Holy Spirit did a lot of stuff, but it seems pretty spread out because the narrative of the Old Testament covers such a giant span of time. But it is the breath of the Spirit that moves on the waters and puts life into man. It is the Spirit of God that is omnipresent and aware of all that happens and speaks to men as directed by the Lord. Just to establish the predetermined pattern of Jesus' bloodline required tweaking individual lives in ways we can't even imagine. What was required to get Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba in the lineage of the Christ? How much did the Spirit have to whisper to people or adjust circumstances to make it all line up just right? Fourteen generations from Abraham to David. Fourteen from David to the Babylonian captivity. Fourteen generations from the captivity to the Christ. Matthew 1, 1-17. The exact number of years that Daniel predicted. Daniel 9:25. What if somebody had been late for their first date? What if Joseph's great-great-grandfather Eleazar had died young in battle or from a bad cold? Yeah, the Holy Spirit was really busy. Were there any Old Testament warnings about the Holy Spirit? Anything we need to be careful about? Oh yeah, Old Testament warnings about the Holy Spirit. Better listen to the Holy Spirit and no other. Isaiah 30 verse 1. Until the Holy Spirit is poured out, there will be desolation. Isaiah 32:15. Don't rebel against him, or he'll be your enemy. Isaiah 63.10 Hmm, don't rebel against him. That would be like if we denied his presence or authority, or said he didn't really talk to us anymore, right? Would that qualify as rebelling against him? What if we said that all the stuff that he might be doing was actually Satan doing it? Do you think that would grieve him? I mean, what if you worked hard and obediently and sacrificially and amazingly, and then had someone attribute all of your labors to your enemy? or to blind chance. That would hurt your feelings, wouldn't it? You wouldn't want to do that to a third of the Godhead, would you? I mean, it just seems impolite at the very least. You know that God seeks for us to have a servant's heart. That's his economy. He wants us to hear him and obey without thought of receiving. And God never tells us to do something that he hasn't already modeled for us. He won't ask us to go where he hasn't gone. So what is God's servant heart? The Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the selfless, constantly working, never self-seeking, always giving, always obeying servant heart of God. We are not ever to worship the Holy Spirit. He does not seek worship or glory. All worship and glory and honor is due to the Father. Philippians 2.11, Philippians 4.20 Even Jesus knew that the ultimate direction of all of our worship and honor is through the Father. He came to glorify the Father, and only said what he heard the Father tell him to say. You do not worship the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is God's servant heart, tirelessly and selflessly working away to fulfill the Father's plan for us, plans for good and not for evil, to give us a future and a hope, then maybe we should stop spitting on Him. He's not helpless. The Word says that if you rebel, He'll be your enemy. I wonder what that would look like. Do you think that maybe He would turn you over to your own reprobate mind, or put a strong delusion on you, or plug up your ears so you can't hear truth? Maybe he'd turn you over to Satan to teach you not to blaspheme. Ouch! I don't think I want to take the chance. I think I'll just be a friend of God and try to stay on the Holy Spirit's good side. 
don't mess with God. He doesn't like people taking pot shots at his selfless, obedient servants. Who neutered the Holy Spirit? From fellowshipofthemartyrs.com Pages 9 and 10. Was the Holy Spirit around in the New Testament before Pentecost? Now this is really fun. Here we have all kinds of neat stuff happening. It all just builds on what happened before. All that cool stuff in the Old Testament is going to get repeated, but it gets compressed down now into a very short window of time. If you see it as a progression, an increasing spiral, and not as a unique dispensation, then there's every reason to believe that it should continue to grow, and even exponentially, like a spiral. What he did before, he's doing again, only more and faster. Here's a list of the people that the Bible mentions specifically that received the Holy Spirit in some measure. New Testament people who received the Holy Spirit before Pentecost. John the Baptist, from the time of conception, Luke 1.15. Elizabeth, Luke 1.41. Zacharias, Luke 1.67. The Virgin Mary, Matthew one eighteen, Matthew one twenty, Luke one thirty five, Simeon, Luke two twenty five, Jesus, Isaiah eleven two, Matthew three sixteen, Matthew twelve eighteen, Luke four one, Luke four fourteen, Luke four eighteen, Acts two thirty three, Acts ten thirty eight, the disciples, John twenty twenty two, and those are just the direct references. It doesn't include the wise men that must have had wisdom from God. It doesn't include Anna or the seventy and the twelve when they were sent out. And all those people being convicted by the preaching of John the Baptist and repenting had to have been having the Holy Spirit speak to their hearts. God pours out the gift of repentance by the Holy Spirit. Without that gift from God, no one can really turn from their own sinful nature. So there had to have been lots of stuff the Spirit was doing all through this time period. Things the Holy Spirit did in the New Testament before Pentecost. Revealed to Simeon that he would see the Messiah. Luke 2.26, got Mary pregnant, Matthew 1.18, Matthew 1.20, Luke 1.35, settled on Jesus like a dove in view of everyone, Matthew 3.16, Mark 1.10, Luke 3.22, John 1.32-33, led Jesus out into the desert, Matthew 4.1, Mark 1.12, Luke 4.1, speaks on behalf of God through the disciples, Matthew 10.20, cast out demons, Matthew 12:28 directed people to go places Luke 2:27 John 3:8 directed the disciples after Jesus' ascension Acts 1:2 So can there be any doubt that the spirit was around and kicking before Pentecost There is also the issue of Jesus selecting and sending 70 and then the 12 disciples out to heal and cast out demons and preach the gospel he gave them authority, and we don't know by what process he did it, by laying on of hands or by just speaking it, but you can't drive out demons under your own power. It has to be the Holy Spirit operating through you. So the disciples were saved and baptized and sent out to do miracles well before Pentecost, and you can't convince me that you can do that without the Holy Spirit in you. You can't sustain the argument that they didn't have the Holy Spirit at all until Pentecost. For one thing, in John 20, 22, Jesus, after his resurrection, breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. If that was purely symbolic, or was prophetic of the time when they were going to receive the Spirit many days later, then why didn't he just say that? In fact, he had already said that, so that would make this uselessly redundant. The simplest and most literal explanation is usually the best. They needed some peace and patience and wisdom to get through the days following his ascension until the fullness of the empowering of the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. 
I think he was giving them a booster of just enough to get them through until then. Certainly, in the upper room in Acts 1, Peter's quoting scripture and being a good leader and making a lot more sense than he used to when the rooster was crowing. There are some verses that people will use to give the impression that the Holy Spirit didn't show up until Pentecost. John 14:26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. John 15:26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. John 16.13 Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. John 7.39 But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. People try to say that this means that the Holy Spirit was sent for the first time at Pentecost, and that the disciples didn't receive any of the Holy Spirit until then. But that just can't be. Clearly, the Holy Spirit was present and active since Genesis 1-2. It must be an issue of quantity or availability to all people, not just an on-off switch. Clearly, something major happened at Pentecost. But it's an error to believe that it was the first time the Holy Spirit made an appearance on the scene. Something definitely happened when Jesus ascended. Somehow it freed up Holy Spirit resources that weren't available to man previously. It's clear that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. I wonder how big his cup was. Maybe he had to leave to free up enough Holy Spirit so the rest of us could get some. Maybe when he ascended to the Father and was glorified, he didn't need it anymore, so the Father sent back all of the Holy Spirit that was filling Jesus' cup. And it was enough to fill everybody for all time.